We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Ryan, let's move on to the mailbag. We don't have a lot of questions today. If you all have questions, go ahead and get them in now. Uh, but we'll address this one off at first. Michael S. says, looks like Dell Alexander redo with Washington. Lose a five-star, get a three. He can't get them or hold them. He's Elston too good, but not a gap closer. Let's hope he can at least coach. I don't know what your beef is with Al Washington, but it's a little yeah. strange, Michael. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, number one, they didn't replace Keon Keeley with Armel Mukum. They don't play the same position. Losing Keon Keeley was a huge loss, huge loss. My question is what defensive line coach in the country could have been here and made that not happen? That's my question. Well, I was going to say, Brian, this is a great talking point because you just mentioned it, right? If Mike Elson is still the defensive line coach, is Keon Kelly still in the class? I don't think so. I don't think there was right. anything that Al Washington could have done in this situation. I right. I, if if I, you I, traded defensive line coaches and you took Bama's defensive line coach and put him in their name and put Al Washington at Alabama, what changes? This wasn't about Al Washington. Now, again, about Alabama. if you want yeah. to criticize Al Washington and say, like, here's what people are missing. If you want to be critical of Al Washington, you should be saying you lost Jason Moore and you replaced him with this kid. Yes. That should be yes. the conversation because that did in fact happen. You're going to lose yep. guys. What I don't like is that I feel like we're not having an objective criticism because here's what's happening a little bit too much on the Irish breakdown boards is the people that are super optimistic are just kind of ganging up and swarming on the people with negative points of view. The mm -hmm. problem is some of the people with the negative points of view are being sort of, e it's easier to go at them because the, the arguments are just not strong. This is right. not a strong argument to make in regard to um, criticizing Al Washington. It's just not. There are other arguments to make on this. But simply looking at you lost a five-star, you got a three-star. Okay, well, Jordan at, Jordan Davis was a three-star. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you, I mean, do we have to have this conversation every single time? This kid is not Keon Keeley. He's not Jason Moore. But it's also he's also a potentially – he's also a talented football player with a lot of upside. So, yes, Al Washington has things to prove at Notre Dame. There's no doubt. But he also got Bubakar Traore. He's a top 100 player. He got, he, he got Devin Houston, who's a good football player. He's got a top 50 player next year in Brandon Davis-Swain. 
So, yeah, he's got a lot to prove. But going to this extreme to be critical of him and and doing it often, like putting in Super Chat so I have to read the criticism, is just a little strange to me. And I'm not quite sure what your beef is with Al Washington. But, you know, last year he signed the best, the second best linebacking co- class in the country at Ohio State. And this year he's got a pretty darn good defensive line that is mostly made up of his guys. And I didn't even mention Brendan Vernon. He kept him in the class who's a top 30 player according to rivals. So uh, yeah, Washington has some stuff to prove to compare him to Dell Alexander is just absurd. If we're going to be honest with you, that's just absurd. And I, and I don't know what your beef is because this isn't the first time you've done this. I don't, I just don't understand what your beef is, but does Al Washington have a lot to prove Ryan? Yeah, he does as a coach and a recruiter. A lot of the first year coaches do, but he's done pretty good so far. Not great, but pretty good. And we have to be able to balance those things where we don't just say, oh, he's the greatest ever. And we also can't be like this. We have to, if we're going to have disagreements, we need to have them to be a little bit more well thought out, to be honest with you. And to me, this is just not a a well thought out criticism. Brian, I I would also point into this. If you're going to, if you're going to throw that shade at him for even saying the Keon Keeley thing, you also need to talk about the simple fact that, if Mike Elston was the coach still, and Mike Elston did a really good job. Like I'm not throwing shade at Mike Elston here, mm-hmm. but don't you think that Brooks Barr would be in the class? Uh, uh, oh yeah. Than a Bubikar well, Triori or I, I think like that? he wasn't necessarily complimenting Elston though. He's saying he's good. He's Elston. Like kind of looks like, like 2.0 is how I'm taking that. Oh, like, good, okay. but not a gap closer. Wrong, so I don't got think it, he's saying it, got it, got it. if Elston was here, they would still have Keon. I, I don't think I, I, that's not how I took it. Michael, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, on on that, but I, I think I'm reading you that you're not saying that that Elston would have kept them. He's saying that he's light. He's kind of like too good, but not a gap closer. Let's hope he, hope he can at least coach. So I yeah. again, I just I don't agree with that sentiment. I mean, let's let's not forget we weren't like if if Notre Dame would have had a five star kid committed in 2019, lost him, and signed Isaiah Foskey, the mm-hmm. the pushback wouldn't be as strong because he's not a three star kid. But there would have been people are like seriously like. You lost the five-star, and you got a kid that's not even ranked in the top 200. Come on now. But Isaiah Foskey's played like a five-star. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality. Is, is Does Notre Dame add to need more? There's a difference between saying Notre Dame needs to add more star players. They do. Sure. And then saying – but then being critical of the fact that they just got this three-star kid. Because as I pointed out on the message board yesterday, Notre Dame needed to get Armel Mookum to tie Alabama for the number of three-star kids committed in this class. Because up until he committed, Alabama had more three-stars in their class than Notre Dame did. And I'm not talking about specialists. I'm not cheating. And they have two three-star, a punter, and a kicker. They're, they're, mm-hmm. If you go there, that's four because they have a kicker who doesn't even have a ranking. I'm just talking about position players. They had to do that to tie. As I just mentioned, Jordan Davis from Alabama was a not a top 300 guy. He was a three-star kid on the 247 composite. Right? So it's about building a program. And every time they don't get a five-star is not like the invitation to go say, oh, see, this is why they can't do this. Because as I mentioned before, go back and look at the number of two and three stars that Alabama had on their first, their starting defense back in, uh, what was it, um, 2009. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've I've pointed this out before. Uh, It wasn't impressive. Corey Reamer was a three-star in the number uh, 483 player in the country. I mean, I'm gonna. I can do this all day. I mean, that entire starting defensive line was that way. Javier Arenas, three star, number 582 player in the country. Let's let's keep let's keep rolling. Yeah, uh, Kareem Jackson, 
he was a he was the number 16 juco kid i they don't have his his ranking here but i have done this in the past and he was a three-star kid uh, as a mm-hmm. high school kid and his best offer i believe uh the guy that the, the team that Notre Dame beat him for his next best offer was something like his number two team was like bowling green <laughs> alabama got on him late and flipped him uh eric anders I think was a two star, if I remember correctly. He was the other starting linebackers that they had, other outside linebackers that they had, um, and and I mean the, the list goes on and on and on and on. So, I mean to me, Ryan, it's just hmm. they need to add better players. They need to keep adding better players. There's no question. Uh, Brandon Diedrich, another starter on that defensive line, a three exactly. star in the number six hundred and twenty three player in the country. That was all off that elite Bama defense that won that won them a national championship. So. You got to evaluate the players, number one, mm-hmm. and and number two, you've got to go out and say, what is this kid being recruited to be? Right. That's the other part. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face. And she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, They'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. 
That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. So let's go to the other thing. Uh, Now, Michael, I will say this. I respect the fact that you are coming at with this negativity at a time when there's a lot of positivity because right now people that have criticisms are like getting ganged up on. And Mm -hmm. I don't like that either. You know, like one of the things yesterday was you got to trust the staff. Well, that's not really fair because that's what we, we didn't do that with Brian Kelly. I have more faith in this staff. So I'm, I'm willing to give this staff more benefit of the doubt, but we didn't have the same reaction that we had about Mookum as we did with Ben Minich. I wasn't as high on the Ben Minich hire. Ryan is a little more high on the Ben Minich hire. I'm, I'm not as high. I got to see his senior film, right? So, I mean, there's other guys that we're not as high on as some other people. I don't have Bubakar as a top 100 player. Two other recruiting services do. But I, I do respect the fact that you're willing to kind of come with a negativity. I just think the argument's bad. I just don't think it's a good argument. I think that you can pose a question of, okay, is Al Washington an elite recruiter? That's a legitimate question. And right now he has not proven himself to be so at Notre Dame, right? He's, he's been good though. Elite? No. And keeping Keon was a big part of that. Now, if he wants to prove that he's elite, go get Keon back, right? That's that's Or replace him with Caleb Herring or something like that. But I just think going to this degree is just a really – a, a really bad argument, in my opinion. Agreed. All right, here we go. We got a question from Chris Basker. Who wins the O-line and D-line battles for each side against Ohio State? I, I Brian, this could be me being biased, I guess, but I, I think that Notre Dame should win both battles, right? I mean, Ohio State's defensive line has not been developed properly, in my opinion, at this point. Notre Dame's offensive line should be a ton better. And then on the other side of it, Notre Dame's defensive line is kind of a known commodity. Like, do they have to improve in certain areas? Sure. But like they were good last year and they have a lot coming back from that unit. And you're going against an Ohio State offensive line, which was not great last year. So I think that Notre Dame has the advantages on both sides, but there's natural projection where if, if Justin Fry is as good as I, I think Justin Fry is a really good offensive line coach. So if he does a mm-hmm. good job, then it could be a stalemate maybe, or maybe it could be at least a closer affair. But I think right now, it's uh, it's not unreasonable to say that I think Notre Dame has the advantage on both sides of the ball from a offensive and defensive line perspective. It's just yeah. my opinion. I agree. I agree. Now they got to go out and prove it. And I think the thing that I would say is to his question is who wins the battle. If Notre Dame's going to beat Ohio State, they can't just win the battle on the defensive line. Right. Like I would argue, Ryan, and I'll say this again. I think that Notre Dame slightly outplayed Alabama's offensive line in 2020. I think Notre Dame's defensive line slightly outplayed Alabama's uh, the offensive line of 2020. Would you say that's at least arguable? Yeah. Okay. Yes. It didn't matter because they needed to dominate Alabama's offensive mm-hmm. line to make up for some of the ish area, other areas where they weren't able to match up with Alabama. That's right. still going to be true. Even if the Notre Dame secondary is what we hope it is, it's still going to be a tough matchup against Ohio State's offense. It is. Mm-hmm. So they can't just win the battle. They just can't win the battle against the Ohio State defensive line. They have to dominate the battle. If they're going to win this game, it can't be who's the edge. Notre Dame won on points at the end of the game in that particular matchup. I'm making a boxing reference. If Notre Dame wins on points in a football game, obviously they win the game. That's not what I'm saying. But like, you know, in a boxing match, Ryan, where it's like it's a it's a split decision. But, you know, this team won on two cards and that team won on one card. It can't be that. It's got to right. be – it can be a 12-round fight. 
right? That goes to the very end, but it's got to be one of those ones where one guy just dominated the other dude and the other guy just mm-hmm. had a tough jaw and strong legs was able to stay for 12 rounds. It, it can't be a close fight if Notre Dame is going to have a chance to win because Ohio State has the significant advantage in some other areas that Notre Dame needs to be better at. But that's the thing is these are the advantages you're supposed to have. And if you're going to win this game, you have to dominate those two. You can't just win them. Uh, and that's sure. not what Chris is saying. I'm just adding my own commentary to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So very good question. Uh, there, Chris. there needs, there needs to be a, there needs to be a, a superiority to this conversation at the end of the day. Like Notre Dame needs to dominate, not just right. win the battles to Brian's point. I agree right. completely on that. Right. Uh, Tony Shea, here, here's the thing, buddy. And, and look, he says, what was wrong with my post? There's nothing wrong with your post. It's the reaction to it. To like, like let's effing go. Like that's what, like, that should be like, oh yeah, okay. Two four seven's finally reporting what Ryan's been reporting for the last month. You know, like what Ryan had on the message board what three days ago with an Intel port. Yeah. I mean, part. I mean, that's my frustration, right? Is like people come here and like so and so reported something. This is great news, and it's like, oh okay, like that's not news to people that at ours breakdown. I guess that's kind of my frustration, Tony. So I, I apologize if it if you took it wrong. It's just that's my frustration. Is Oh, so-and-so did a crystal ball. If we did silly things like that to take away people's shine, we'd have done that two months ago and never would have changed it. So, yeah, that's kind of... So, so we're, that's so we're getting thing. crystal balls? Is what you're uh, saying? No, we're not. I said if we did silly things <laughs> no, like know, that. Just, you know, so, yeah, see, there you go. Always trying. So you're just you, you, you're trying to get me fired up. I'm Blaine Tiller said, do you think Clemson would be better in the Clemson system with PJ as quarterback instead of DJ? Uh, yeah. Would you say, I mean, in their system, I do mm. think he's going to be a, he would be a better player than DJ. Phil Jerkovic would be a better player than DJ. Absolutely. Because, yes. I, I do think he would be a better player. I still don't think it'd be a perfect fit though. Like I, I, I still don't love PJ. I, I still don't love Jerkovic in that system, but explain why that system. I don't, I don't because love I, that I, system. So I don't love anybody in that system. Sure. <laughs> Look, it's very like, there's very, there's like a big emphasis on just like playing shortstop at quarterback, basically, right? Like you're getting the ball out quick. You're throwing some RPOs. You're throwing a bunch of screens. It's very spread oriented, but like college spread, not like a pro style spread. And I like Jerkovic more in a, like, let's stress vertically, sure. right? Like, sure. kind of like a, so I don't, I just don't love the fit overall for either player, if I'm being honest, but I do agree. I think that, Phil Dracovic would be better in it. I, I think he would be much like better. Either. He would be much better for this reason. Why? Because they tried to use DJ as a runner last year. And I actually do think you can use Phil on power O or, or Q power and some of the things they try to get him that. to run on. I think that Phil is a better deep ball thrower than DJ is. And they also like to agree. throw a lot of deep balls. So that's why I think Phil would be much better in that system. I think your beef is similar to mine, Ryan. I just didn't like. Now, when we talk about it, we're talking about what we saw from the system last year. I don't know if it's going to look like that this year. We don't know what it's going to look like now that Brandon Streeter's running it. He was the quarterback's coach. So I don't know how much different it's going to be. You hear things from Clemson people. It's going to change. It's going to be this. It's going to look different. They're going to make this wrinkle. They need to. They need to. And I hope Brandon Streeter does that. But it's if we're just looking at what it was and what it was, Ryan, I didn't like it. I didn't like the system. I don't, I don't know what happened to Tony Elliott the last two years, but it was really poorly done. But I think Phil would have been much better there because Phil could do a lot of that running stuff. Now, Phil's not a fast kid, but he's a really athletic kid. You put him on Q power and some of that stuff, 
I think he runs would run that well. It's stuff he ran in high school. I, I actually don't mm-hmm. think BC does enough of that, to be completely honest with you. They don't use enough of the Q power of the read zone stuff to let Phil do that. I kind of understand why. I kind of feel like they don't want him to get sure. hurt. But sure. I think they haven't used him enough of that stuff. But I think Phil would fit really well in that system because, remember, he is a spread kid. He ran that stuff in high school. And so mm-hmm. the combination of him as a runner plus his deep ball throwing ability, I think would have really fit into that offense much better than DJ. But to your point, Rand, I just didn't like the system last year. I thought it was stunk. It, there's no method of the madness. They didn't re- they didn't recruit well to it. They weren't recruiting the the Amari Roger Hunter Renfro type kids anymore. They were just trying to recruit a bunch yeah. of like Stat- tall bunch, outside bunch guys. Yeah. yeah, but like yeah. the tall outside guys they had in 08 could freaking run. And the kids they've recruited the last couple of years couldn't run like that. You know, like like Bo Collins being Miles mm-hmm. Boykin, I think would be really good. But yeah. that's not what that offense looks for. And so I don't think like Bo, I don't think Bo Collins is a bad football player. I think he's a pretty talented football player. I just don't think he fit fit that system. Is my point? Yeah, I, I think yeah. I mean, I think they have a couple of those guys that are pretty decent players. Like I think he's a good player. I think they have another kid named Collins, different first name, if I remember correctly. And then they have. Joe Joe Angata, who's like the same guy, right? right? Like that's, right. The, that's the issue, though, is it's just not. He's a Javon McKinley type, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So again, in in Joe Angata in in Notre Dame's offense of 2020, playing the Javon McKinley roles, good football player, sure. trying to be T Higgins, huh? Trying to be not, Justin yeah. Ross, huh? <laughs> you yeah. know, and I think that's the thing is if if Brandon Streeter adapts the pass game to fit the personnel he has. That I think will make the Clemson offense a lot better than it was last year. Yeah. A lot better. And that's what we need to see. But in what the system that we had, then it's a different deal. And that was my issue. Clemson didn't all of a sudden not have any talented kids. Right. That that wasn't the issue. The, the, the issue was more they had talented kids playing and doing things that like like I don't think DJ's a bad quarterback. No. I think he's got some accuracy issues and some other aspects of it, but he's not as bad as he looked last year. Now he's not as good as he looked the year before. But he's not as bad as he looked last year. I think he's somewhere in the middle. I just think the system was really poorly designed for him. And I'll say this: I think that he would do he would do better in BC's offense, not mm-hmm. than Phil, but just then. Like I'm only looking at DJ in a right. system that's drop back pro style. Throw the, you know what I mean? Though I think he'd be better there than he was in Clemson's system. I think Phil's better than him in both because I think Phil's a better quarterback than he is. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. So very, yep. very interesting question, Blaine. Very interesting question. Here's a good one from Scott Yerbick. Who is the best player Notre Dame will face this season? Not highest draft pick, so value, but just flat out best player that Notre Dame is going to face this year. It may end up being the highest drafted player, though, and I, I think it's Miles Murphy. Man. Okay, like I think that kid's a. That I was only saying that because I could see CJ Stroud yeah. being the number one overall pick. That, yeah. that's well, I, you I, know, that's more value va- related. Right. Sure, in a vacuum, though, the best just overall football player, like Miles Murphy's a game wrecker, man. Mm-hmm. Like he can play outside, can work some inside. Like he is a just i mean there's there's moments where he's just overwhelming like he's an overwhelming football player so he he's literally a player brian that like i think do you remember how stanford used solomon thomas when he yeah. was there right yeah. it's like a kind of a gap penetrating interior player miles murphy can do that but also rush the passer from the outside mm-hmm. and be a dog in the run game so i see miles murphy and i'm just like that kid could be a game wrecker against in, in stopping the run and then also gives you big upside as a in passing game yeah. as well yeah 
I I would go with Miles Murphy now. Here's where I want to take the so that's that's an easy one for me. I think he's incredibly talented. Here's here's a here's a question I want to ask you. I think would be a little bit more interesting. Who is the best player that Ohio, that Notre Dame will face on Saturday, September third? That's uh, just not not value, but just the best player that they're going to face. It's I mean I think it's CJ or it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. I, I, I wouldn't go I, with either one of them. Really? Who would you go? I with? just think their most talented player is Travion Henderson. I do. Oh, okay. I just I just think he is just God given ability, just incredibly talented. Now those other mm. two guys are more established, but just best player, not most important, not you know highest value because he's a quarterback or receiver, just best player. I think if I I'll put it like this, if I was just kind of doing like a, an NFL draft grade or mm-hmm. not even, you know, like, but a, a version for just grading college football players, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think by the end of the season, I, I think we're going to be looking at a little different. I think it could end up being Travion. I think if you took, if you put the proven production aspect in it, he can't be that guy. You got to take one of the two kids you mentioned. If I'm, sure. just, I'm looking at it just a little differently than your answer. And I, that's why I want you to answer first. You're looking at it, proven production, key to the offense, and talent. I mm-hmm. simply looked at it as a upside thing, and that's okay. why I went with Travion. It, so would that would that be would there be any conversation to Travion versus a Paris Johnson Jr. Then, if you're just looking at pure upside, would I would no? Because I, I think Paris Johnson Jr. is really talented. I just don't know if he's there yet, or if he it, like. Mm-hmm. I got to see him play tackle first, right? And I remember in high school, that. he was really good in high that. school. I didn't yeah. love his senior year, to be completely honest with you. Um, he's very talented, but I still would definitely take – I still would take Travion over him at this point in time. I would. Sir? I would. Like, I don't think Paris Johnson is quite as talented as Blake Fisher is. He's got a year of experience on him, but I don't think right. he's quite as talented. I think I think Travion Henderson, to me, is just – could has a chance to be really, really special. I do. I really do. I and I, you know, all. and – it's a good problem to have if you're Ohio State to be having that debate where you could make an argument that CJ Stroud isn't their quote unquote best player. And, you know, it's, 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 would love for Notre Dame to be in that situation someday from a skill player standpoint. There's no doubt about that. Here's another question here uh, Guinea Pig Clips. Can Notre Dame win at Ohio State without forcing a turnover? I think Michigan did. Did, did Ohio State not turn the ball over against Michigan? They may not have. They may not have. I don't yeah. think Stroud threw an interception, so unless they fumbled, I guess yeah. not. Um, let me let me. I'm just gonna look this up because I don't remember yep. one off the top of my head. Uh, they lost. They did not lose. They did not turn the ball over against Ohio State. They only had Michigan or against just, Michigan, and they only had one against Oregon. Michigan just controlled that game, though, yeah. man. Like just the pace of that game, the momentum of that game. I I just never felt like Michigan was in trouble in that game. You know, like it was just. Yeah. Uh, can it happen? Yes, it can. I wouldn't throw anything off the table, but if Notre Dame is able to force a couple turnovers, then that would dramatically increase it. Like you make yeah. it a lot easier on yourself, but I guess it's possible. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the thing the other day about the can Notre Dame win if Tyler Buck only throws for 190 yards. It, I just need more context. Right. And like your immediate reaction, Ryan, was no. And I right. understand it. Just like my kind of gut reaction was like, no, I don't think you can beat Ohio State without forcing a turnover. But there's so much other context. Like, did he not turn it over because he was just throwing it away all day? 
or you force three fumbles, but they fell on each of them behind the line of scrimmage and you lost five yards on each one. There's just so much context that's needed. Uh, what I will say is Notre Dame cannot beat Ohio State if they allow Ohio State to play a clean game on offense. That they won't I, do. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Because that includes disruptions, drop balls. I mean, fumbles that you don't necessarily recover, right? Because it's a fumble is not a turnover because you can still recover the fumble. Uh, I could see where they, they force Ohio State into three turnovers and lose, depending on where the turnovers are. Like if, you know, if, if you fumble at the and, three – your defense mm-hmm. stops their name on a three and out and they punt and you get the ball back at the 35. It's like, okay, you're still going to get a, you know what I mean? Like it just depends. There's so much context that's needed, but I would feel a lot better if Notre Dame forced a turnover. But as we showed last sure. year, I mean, um, you know, it can happen. It can happen. Yeah. The only mm-hmm. game that Ohio state played really bad in where they turned it over multiple times is the Nebraska game. They had two turnovers mm-hmm. in the Nebraska game and that was a game that 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 could have been Scott Frost's sort of kind of coming out party a little bit if he would have been able to close that thing out. But you know, obviously they weren't man. able to get it done. Yeah, man. Yep. Poor Frost. Poor Frosty. Yep. Chief Brody says, Brian, if you could take a, I'm going to ask you this first, Ryan. If uh-huh. you could take a torrential downpour ahead of the Ohio State game, would you do it? I think Notre Dame's edge in the run game means that would be a no brainer. I. So I think I think the appropriate question that it's trying to go to Brian is are Notre Dame's chances better mm-hmm. in a rain game than it is in a non-rain game. And for that just general sense, I would say yes, but I also think that the torrential downpour would limit a lot of what would make Notre Dame special and balanced offensively. So I don't think it would 100% be like cut and dry yes right. but like I do I would steer towards the yes right like yeah. if it's a bad weather game I do think Notre Dame has a much better chance of winning than if yeah. it was just sunny and not I slick think, and all that stuff yeah I think they have a better chance but I don't know if it's significantly better for a couple reasons number one Ohio State has field turf the reality is in today's era rain doesn't affect field turf like it used to number one mm-hmm. number two I don't think that Ohio State's going to be this awful running team this year i mean if they have to put the game on Travion henderson's shoulders it's still the the game plan we talked about it's you got to stop the run and, and Notre Dame's got to prove that they can do that i mean ohio state's offense wasn't consistent running the football last year we agree on that Notre Dame's defense wasn't consistent stopping the run game last year so they gotta they gotta prove that but number two what often doesn't get talked about in these situations is there are circumstances i could point to where a wet field could be detrimental to Notre Dame. Jackson Smith and Jigba catches a bubble screen and the Notre Dame player plants drive outside and falls down, slips in the rain. Sure. Sure. I mean, that happens too in run in 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 uh on wet fields. Your offensive line can't get their feet sunk in. And just, I mean, some some fields are slicker in the rain than others. You know, like if we were playing on a grass field, yeah, it'd be a problem. Because you can't keep the ball dry on a grass field. It's a lot easier to keep the ball dry on a turf field than it is a grass field because on a grass field, well, I say that, let me say it's harder to keep the, it's easier to keep the ball usable as a passer, as long as you have good size hands and hand strength on a turf field than a, uh, a grass field, because on a grass field, the problem for a quarterback is not only do you get rain on it, but you actually get grass clippings and mud on it. And that's what can make it really hard to throw on a grass field. On a turf field, you just don't see teams struggling the way they used to. I think also mm-hmm. as a receiver's coach, 
I have always felt that on a rainy field, just from a pure route running standpoint, it's advantage wide receivers. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be it would have to be like really heavy rain. And he said torrential downpour ahead of the game. I -hmm. think the only way Notre Dame gets a big advantage is if it's a torrential downpour during the game. That's where I think the pass game gets really affected, is if it's during the game. Because then it's a lot harder to throw the ball because you can't throw it as hard or as fast because there's literally weight coming down on it. Because when it's just rain, it's about slipperiness. That's it. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, C.J. Stroud is, from everything I've seen, has got the kind of hand size and hand strength that's going to allow him to still – throw the ball. I mean, like when it got cold last year against Ohio State, I didn't think that affected C.J. Stroud's throwing ability. Might have affected his psyche as a kid from California. I don't know, but it didn't affect his throwing ability. Like, he didn't struggle to throw the ball against Michigan in the cold. And the cold for a quarterback can be, sometimes can be worse than rain. Because in rain, your your hands actually like, they expand a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you know, the, mm-hmm. the ball's wet, but when it's cold, your, your, your skin shrinks, your, your, it condenses and it's tighter and it can be harder sometimes to grip the football. So that's what I would say is I don't think it gives them much of an advantage. And if anything, I'd be worried about Tyler Buckner getting out on the perimeter and slipping and falling on a, on a wet field. I want a dry field. I want there to be no excuses because I think Notre Dame has speed. I think Notre Dame can run. I think that a a dry field takes away some of that a little bit because Notre Dame is not a power football team, in my opinion, Ryan. They're not a lineup of 12 personnel with all these big backs and just crush you, right? Um, That's just kind of how I look at it. I have a a great comment that I need to pull up. Yeah, I know where you're – oh, okay, you're going a different one. Number one ND fan says Notre Dame could run the triple option in a downpour. Very true. Very good point. Such a bad idea. Uh, Sid says, tell BK that in 2015, 16, 45 pound hour wins in the monsoon, <laughs> throw it 50 times, idiot. Yes, he is. And the, the, but that what's interesting is that was on a grass field. The one in 16 yes. was on a grass field. It was also an incredibly windy day. And, but he, and th- this is kind of my point, Sid is the thing about the NC state game. It was, it was raining during the game. Mm-hmm. It That's different than if it's raining before the game. If you were going to tell me it was going to be a torrential downpour, during the game, then that's where I think Notre Dame would have a, a, a would be able to get an advantage. But I don't want that. I, if Notre Dame's going to beat Ohio State, I don't want there to be any excuses. And if they can't beat Ohio State, then I don't want there to be any excuses on Notre Dame's side either. Because I want to evaluate where are you as a program. I don't want any excuses in that evaluation because you can't get better if there's always circumstances that kind of make it seem like, well, can we really evaluate ourselves from that game? I want it to be a dry day. Any of the Notre Dame is good enough or they're not good enough. That's kind of kind of how I want double, it. Double tight, double wing. Let's go, baby. Yep. Yep. So here's a question, Ryan, that we we got yes. uh, here from Caleb Collins. He says, how do you compare 2014 Ohio State to Notre Dame this year? In my opinion, I think they're going into the season. They are very comparable. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's an interesting one. So that was the team. He had JT Barrett at quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. You were replacing. Actually, no. You were going to have Braxton Miller at quarterback, but he got hurt in in the offs in the JT I think in over. preseason. JT steps in, and then mm-hmm. he got hurt late in the year. But it was late. I mean, you were in your twelfth game of the year when he got hurt. You That's didn't have Jones right. Thing. Yep, yeah. yep. You didn't necessarily have a really, to me, proven receiving core. You know, Devin Smith was a good player. You know, Evan Spencer was a good player. Michael Thomas hadn't really, you know, I mean, that was Michael Thomas in 2014 was really kind of the first year we saw anything from him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he played in 2012, only had three catches. So there was some uncertainty, ended up being a good player. And they weren't really good in September, if we're going to be honest with, about it. I mean, that Ohio State team in 2014 was not a really good football team in September. If you remember, Ryan, they really struggled with Navy in the opener. Yeah. And, and Navy – really battled them tough for a while. Then they went and lost to Virginia tech and then they eventually got rolling. But even in some of the blowout wins, like they didn't look great against Cincinnati. They blew Cincinnati out, but that wasn't a, I mean, that wasn't a really good Cincinnati team, you know, in my opinion, uh, the week after the Ohio state beat Cincinnati 50 to 28, they lost to Memphis 41 to 14 at home. And then the next week they lost to Miami, fifty-five to thirty-four. That's who Cincinnati lost to Miami. That was a six and seven Miami team. Cincinnati mm-hmm. wasn't that good that year, so it took Ohio State a while to get rolling. I actually think Notre Dame is going to be a little better early than that Ohio State team was early. What That's I don't fair. know is if Notre Dame can be better as late as Ohio State was. Because remember, they were doing a complete overhaul uh, on defense that year. And Mm because they had gotten rid of Everett Withers and they brought in Chris Ash. So they were doing that team was doing a a significant overhaul. And, you know, you you were breaking in a new quarterback, which is comparable. You didn't have a proven receiving core, which is comparable. You know, you were going into year three of Tom Herman's offense. So I think they were kind of ready to hit their peak, which is comparable to Tommy Reese. I mean, I see the parallels that Caleb has drawn here. I really it's do. Interesting. Athletic run throw quarterback in his first year, unproven receiving court with speed. You know, Devin Smith could run, you know, mm-hmm. uh, offensive line that has the parts, but Nestor didn't play that great. Uh, you know, I, I see the similarities. I do. I just think that Notre Dame is a little bit more proven than that Ohio State team was early. And I think, but I think that Ohio State team to me has has a few more dynamic players that I don't know. Like I don't know if Notre Dame has an Ezekiel Elliott, right? Well, I was about to say, do they have somebody yeah. that's gonna go down the stretch and do what Zeke did right? Year, right. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. you know, I love, love Isaiah Foskey. He's not Joey Bosa right now. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Like and that that linebacking core they had that year was really good as well. You know, like can Jason Adamiola be what Michael Bennett was that year? He's got the talent to be, but he had, I mean, Michael Bennett had 14 tackles for loss that year. Uh, can player. any of the Notre Dame linebackers be what Darren Lee was that year? You know, and 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 the other thing too is on like putting the high end talent on the Ohio State secondary and the Ohio State defense in 2014 was greater than what Notre Dame, Notre Dame's is, in my opinion. 
I mean, yeah. I, I think Maris yeah. could be as good as them, but they had Darren Lee and they had other guys. It wasn't just Darren Lee who ended up being a first. Was that, was that, they had Josh Perry on that team. Ray I was about Kwan to McMillan. say Josh Perry was on that yeah. team. Yeah. Raekwon yeah. McMillan was a freshman on the team. Curtis Grant was on the team. Their secondary, you had Eli Apple in the secondary. You know, he was a freshman, yeah. but he was really talented. You know, you had Von Bell, Von Bell on that team. I mean, that was a yeah. that was a really high-level team on defense, and I don't know if Notre Dame has that kind of high-level talent across the board the way that Ohio State did. Mm-hmm. And on offense, I think Notre Dame has a chance to be better than Ohio State at most positions, but that running back difference is pretty big, man. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott yes. was a dude. He was a on, dude. On a- on a separate note, Brian, I, I heard Josh Perry doing some commentating or like analyst stuff. I had no idea he was doing that. Yeah. Man, he's pretty good. He at does it. really good. He do, he's really yeah. good at that. He's very fair, he's very objective, knowledgeable, but he can explain it in a way that fans can. A problem that a lot of former players have is they talk like over the head of fans. And I, I had that issue, yes. too. And I got criticized for that a lot by my bosses when I first started getting into this. And it was at, it was true. Like you're saying things that other coaches and players might understand, but, but can your audience understand it? Not, and it's not disrespectful. It's just football. You use language that people may not know what that word means. Ryan, you Mm -hmm. and I've had that conversation. You'll use scouting language. I'm like, dude, I don't know what that means. Like we, we don't use that term or, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's it's not be so dang sensitive, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but I think he does a really good job. That's what I've always liked about John Vilma, Jonathan Vilma as a, an analyst, is he can say really smart things in a way that's easy to digest. And that mm-hmm. that's, takes talent because I've said this before. Part of the reason I don't think I would be a very good high school football coach is because I don't know if I'm capable of teaching what I know in a way that can be understood by 15-year-olds. I think it mm-hmm. takes talent to do that. And that's why I've always had a great deal of respect for good high school football coaches because they can take things like – there's I've met some high school football coaches that are wicked smart dudes, but mm-hmm. how they talk to me is different than how they talk to their players because I can grasp things that their players couldn't when I was a coach. So yeah. I, I think there I take I take so it takes a lot of that. And so I, I think that that's but yeah, Josh Perry does I've seen I've heard him a few times. He does a really nice job. Yeah, I like a really him. nice I like job. Him. Yeah. All right. So I, I want to see if we got any more stuff here. I think we are good. And uh I think we're I think we're I think we got all the not all the good questions. I know there's some, I think we got to the questions that we needed to get to and we'll, uh, well, comment from Sid Irish. We always bang, bang on Sid for saying things negative, but I think, uh, this is a good one. He says, I saw Emil Wagner in the practice clips. He looks like a tight end DN. I really hope he can pack the weight. His athletic is gnarly. Uh, he's absolutely right on that, Ryan. He's athletic yes. and he has strong hands, long arms and, and strong dumb hands. length. Yeah. Yes. Yep. But his athleticism is very good. And this is why, we had him ranked low in our rankings on signing day, but also why he had five-star upside. Because he could be a kid that never does anything more than what Joe Walt did last year before he started, which was you bring him in in blocking situations as a tight end. and that mm-hmm. He can do great there. But can he be yeah. an offensive tackle? He may never play a meaningful snap as an offensive tackle in his career because of the weight. But if he can get to the to at least 290 and and keep his athleticism – I think Emil Wagner's got a chance to be a really good football player, mm-hmm. really good football player. The question here is, let's say that in three years, Elijah Page and Emil Wagner both reach their potential, and those are your starting tackles, just for argument's sake. Yeah. Because Jagasaw, it's an easy thing. He's a right tackle, right? But if Page and Wagner both peak, 
and they're both reached their full potential, and they're your two best tackles. Alton, Blake are off to the NFL. Jagasol's moving inside. He's starting to guard, right? Who plays left? Who plays right? Because they're both more well, natural Wagner. left tackle. Okay. Wagner. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's okay. just got more upside as far as on yep. the blind side. I think I think Page has pure left tackle upside as well, but, like, Wagner is just so physically gifted athletically. Yeah. Like, it's just – it's silly. It's let silly. Me, let me throw and honestly, he – he moves like a tight end as right. well. Like, so yes. that's, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let me, as a blocker, he does. Yes, as a blocker, mm-hmm. he moves like a tight end. Let me throw yes. a counter argument at you. I understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree with anything you just said. But I would argue mm-hmm. that if Blake, mm-hmm. if Emil gets to 290, he's going to be the better run blocker. And I have I, two I, thoughts to his size. Number one, you know my stance. All things mm-hmm. being equal, I want my better run blocker at right tackle. It's just how I am. Tradition. Number two, I still worry a little bit about him as a bit of anchor in pass protection. And as a quarterback, I want the guy that I'm a little bit more concerned with the anchor to my front side than I do my blind mm-hmm. side. That's my mm-hmm. only counter argument to that. One's a positive, one's a negative. Even the, the positive one is where I would be like, you know, I'd have to think about that one. Because could you imagine an offensive line? that had Emil Wagner at his peak and Charles Jagasaw at his peak on the right side of the line. You move some people. You're going to have a now, good running attack at that point. Oh man. And you have like an athletic left guard. So you just down yeah. block, down block, kick, pull and yeah. kick. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. not bad. It's not bad. It's yes. Easy. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So anyway, uh, that was a good one, Sid. I appreciate that. Uh, Appreciate that very much for for that for that comment. Sparked some good final discussion. So, but Ryan, uh, that I think that is it. That's what we're, we're gonna we're gonna end on that one. That was a we're gonna end with Sid being positive. Good job, <laughs> Sid. I'm, first, I'm giving you a hard time, happened. man. I'm just, I'm just I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. But uh, before this thing gets off the rails too much, Ryan, everybody, remember tonight there is the. Uh, we are back. The IB Nation Sports Talk Show is back tonight uh, with Sean Styers. He will be back tonight, and they're going to have a very interesting conversation tonight. It's going to be sort of a twofold thing. So Sean's son, Jesse, is one of his co-hosts, and Jesse will be on tonight. And they're going to do a breakdown of the 21 and 12 personnel groupings that Notre Dame has and just what those advantages could be for Notre Dame. So they're going to get a little bit technical on you tonight. So uh, check in, check into that. And that'll be at six o'clock Eastern tonight. That'll be, uh, Sean Styers and his son, Jesse, which how cool would that be to be doing a show with your kid and your kid actually is like smart and deserves to be on the show, which Jesse does. Uh, you know, that would be a really cool thing for me. I'm not going to lie to you. That'd be a lot of fun. So anyway, although the way Jules is right now, I could see you and her doing a show together here, uh, in, in, in about a couple decades here with the way that she is. Yeah. So, uh, and, and anyway, yeah, anyway, <laughs> Everybody's a little mad about his phone. Everybody, thanks for being on with us today. It was a great show. Uh, a lot of good conversation here. We appreciate you. Tony Shea, sorry for jumping on you like that, man. You're a good dude. We appreciate you being on the show. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow at, at, at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern. We're thinking about doing a mailbag and something else, but Ryan and I got to talk about it first. Uh, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow. And then Saturday, 10 o'clock EAM, we kick off our IB countdown to kickoff show. Uh, we're going to talk about preview the Notre Dame season, make our predictions, and then the second half of the show, we're going to kind of make our college football predictions and then preview 
couple games. We'll look at the Northwestern Nebraska game. That's actually going to be a really fascinating game, Ryan. Uh, and then you look at West Virginia Pitt. The backyard brawl is always interesting. And then Penn State Purdue is a sneaky important game in the opener for those two teams. Uh, and you know, so so it's going to be it's going to be a really fascinating weekend. I cannot wait to do IB countdown to kick off. That's 10 a.m. Eastern, and that's why you need to like this channel and subscribe, but also. Hit that notification bell. Share this podcast. Sign up for the message boards. If you are listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate that. And also appreciate your patience sometimes when I snap on you a little bit. I uh, promise I'll try not to do that anymore, uh, especially the people that are longtime listeners. But sometimes certain topics just get me really fired up. And uh, the crystal ball one is definitely one of those topics. There's no doubt about it. So anyway, have a great day, everybody. And we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.